Welcome to the Books and Stuff podcast series. Krishna likes to read books, but Bala doesn't. Bala likes to write, but Krishna doesn't. They both love to talk. And so, Bala and Krishna decided to talk about what Krishna reads. And thus, the idea of recording their chatter was born. The two friends will discuss books they love. This series of podcasts is for busy people. People who'd love to learn about a book without having to read one. And maybe the podcast will inspire them to get their hands on a book that interests them. Feel free to leave your recommendations via social media or in the comment section below. Enjoy the Books and Stuff podcast. Hello everybody, this is Bala Ramudrai calling in from Pune, India and we have yet another episode of Books and Stuff podcast series. This time we'll have a new book uh, as we have every week. Uh, say hello Krishna. Hi guys, happy to be here. Excited about this book. Okay, so the book is called Factfulness by Hans Rosling. This is all I know about the book. So I will let uh, Krishna start with his with the book. Uh, as always, I will start with my favorite first question, which is why oh why among all the millions and millions of books did you pick this particular book for our podcast? I'm excited to talk about this book. There's just so much in the book. Uh, I don't know how much we can get to in a podcast. But as usual, I'll try to focus on the core idea. And Bala, to your question, we've talked about this before. I like uh, two kinds of books. One of them tells me a lot about how to think, you know, books on thinking about your own thinking, I really like. And the other category is uh, biographies and autobiographies and how you can learn from, you know, the life of other people, you know, successful people from the past. So this is uh, uh, falls, you know, right dab in the middle of the first category where this book tells tells about you know some kind of instincts, some kind of biases that we have, and there are a lot of books on biases. You know, that's the whole psychology of uh, irrationality among in in our thinking, coming from biases. You know, it's well studied, but this has this this book takes a very different tack at it, and that's why I, I, it really struck me. And I start as I start reading it, I realize a lot of the biases I share, which is the key reason that I couldn't put the book down, and then I really wanted to talk about it as soon as possible. Uh, you can you can tell because today's Black Friday after Thanksgiving and I came to work just to do this podcast. So it's uh, uh, it, it's really cold outside. So it takes a lot <laughs> to get me out when I don't have it. <laughs> okay. uh, the one suggestion I have and I, is Bala that there is a link to a questionnaire that Hans Rosling, the author, uh, has used in the past uh, among his audiences. So I would suggest that we put that link in your webpage, in the webpage for this podcast. So people can actually attempt the questions. Uh, I think there's like a handful of questions there before they listen to the podcast. So if, you, if you're at this stage, maybe pause, go, go look at the questions, try to answer them. And it'll tell you at least a little bit of the biases that you have. Uh, and when I did the questions, I found that a lot of the times I thought I would get more of the questions right than, than I actually did. So and that goes back to what the book is exactly trying to address. So I leave it there and then I'll wait for the next question, Bala. All the listeners, you can pause our uh, audio uh, right now and go and take this test uh, on the website given in the description. 
on my website or in the description of the archive.org uh, you can find it in there yeah and, okay. and it won't take much so, of your time it'll be like a you know it's like a 5 minute thing so let's assume that all of them have taken it now and uh, then we jump to the main question so this is the quick synopsis of the book of covering the key idea of the book what is the key idea of the book? yeah so as the title suggests right it's uh, factfulness and the, the key if i had to say uh, say it in one line it is he talks about 10 instincts that we all have that in in a sense tries to over dramatize our world the world around us so that's the core idea so the book is about these 10 instincts um so what is striking uh, really is that a lot of us have opinions without any facts behind them and uh, i've always heard this uh, this funny insults that people give oh he or she is always confident but never right that's the, that's the whole idea of the book is a lot of us have so many opinions that are not backed by facts and if you push it one level deeper and ask you know why do we have these opinions it turns out that a lot of the opinions that we have is based on truth but truth as it was 30 years ago or 20 years ago it it is truth the way we studied it in schools in high school so if you ask somebody uh, something about the world you know where the where do you think the population is where do you think the population is growing the answers will all be correct roughly but it will be correct it will be at least 20 or 30 years old one core point in the book is that we never update our initial knowledge it also goes back to why schools are so powerful because when you put general vague ideas in school in in kids minds in school even give them facts kids take them in but then they don't update it over time uh, the way they you, you update your information is is based on what you see in the media typically and what you see in the media tends to be biased it tends to uh, over dramatize the bad things and maybe under play the good thing so over time we get the sensation that it, like we we have this view that the world is actually worse than it really is it is not to say and he he makes this point clearly it is not to say we should underplay the problems in the world there are real problems but the problems might not be exactly what you think it is because you've never go gone back and looked at the facts i mean a, a simple question when is the last time you looked at population statistics uh, healthcare statistics globally or uh, you know things like vaccinations you know how many of the kids do you think are actually vaccinated across the world that's really the core point of the book is that unless you actually stop and think you would make decisions that are colored by your bias and your bias is based on facts just old facts and for that reason it's more dangerous because it's actually based on facts so you actually in your mind you think it's true um so that is the core idea of the book as i did in my podcast where i gave the teaser of five points here you've given 10 factors to be the teaser i am really really curious to find out what these 10 factors are i'll list it quickly and then uh, maybe i'll like touch on a few of them and then we can uh, go into some examples or i mean i guess the key point is not just to know the know the biases but also look for simple clues or simple tricks or cheats if you will you know to get around those biases he calls them instincts so he so there is a gap instinct where we tend to think think of things as us versus them you know like developed world versus developing world the poor and the rich you know you always try to think of gaps 
and your mind is tends to operate that way. Uh, it tends to put people into buckets, and then you assume things about each bucket. So that's the gap instinct. There is a negativity instinct because, in general, you react more to bad news than to good news. And also, there is more bad news. You know, bad news is news, but good news is not really news. So, uh, the more you turn on the TV, you will you will get bad news. You rarely get good news because it just sells better. The third instinct is the straight line instinct. You know, that is when you look at something growing at a certain pace, you tend to extrapolate it as a straight line. Well, not everything goes in a straight line, right? Like if if you look at your kid's uh, height chart, you can see a nice straight line curve. But obviously, that straight line doesn't go forever. If he lives, your kid lives till 90, he doesn't go in the same straight line growth path because that would be disastrous. So you have to assume that not all processes go in a straight line. But, you know, we know that, you know, people who are, especially people who are technically educated know that. But even the most technical people forget that. In fact, Hans Rosling does these, uh, the, the quiz I mentioned, he actually offers a version of that quiz to a lot of his audiences. He used to be like a global health expert. He was a doctor and he's worked in you know, missions across the world. And uh, he's part of these groups. So he goes to these groups where people are actually solving problems of global health. And they get this, they get key facts wrong. So this is not just, you know, laymen or random people. It is actual experts who get this wrong. The fourth instinct is fear instinct. And, and we all know this, you know, when things are presented as a threat, we tend to overestimate uh, this. And this is like just a biological instinct that we have. Instinct number five is size instinct. He says, we, it is very easy to confuse us with numbers. So I can just throw a number at you. Four million people suffer from blah, blah, blah. And you think it's a big thing. But you have to always compare it with another number. So one of the things he, suggestions he makes is unless you make the, the large sounding number into a ratio a per capita number, you know, I mean, it's an obvious thing, but, you know, we get it wrong because the media doesn't bother to do it. In fact, media's job is to just throw that 4 million at you. But over a period of time, that tends to change your thinking. You just assume that it's a bad thing because you never have the time to sit down and say, okay, 4 million, 4 million out of how many billion, right? Is that even a, a data point worth considering or is it just noise? Is it just an outlier? Um, so that's the size and instinct. Then there's the generalization instinct. We are so quick to generalize that he he suggests that you should always question the category that you're using. You know, uh, uh, an example he, he says is it's it's very interesting. He says anytime there is some headline news in an African country, you know, say Somalia, right? Somalia, there is some there is some news on an explosion, something related to the civil war, blah blah blah. He says tourism in Nigeria drops significantly, and he's like. Somalia and Nigeria are almost on the opposite sides of the African coast, and there's like seven country borders between the two of them. But people don't care. People just assume Africa is one big mass where if there's an explosion in Somalia, Nigeria would be a dangerous place. So that's you know an example of generalization where he's like, you know, you have to how many times have you actually paused to think how many countries there are in Africa and how different they are? In in your mind, it's just all one big blob. And you have some perceptions about it, which might or might not be true. So that's generalization. Number seven is this destiny uh, instinct, he calls it. And I find it very interesting. In fact, there's a book. In the book, there's a picture of a, of a tortoise uh, as a symbol of his destiny instinct. You hear st statements like, oh, that's, that's India. And India will only 
go at this pace and you know india is never destined to be good or you'll hear things about bangladesh you know you make these statements about whole countries whole regions as if they're one entity whereas if you actually drill in and see that uh, what what might be important is not really the rate of change but the change is actually happening so we have a lot of density uh, i mean destiny instinct biases and, and the biases dif- differ based on people and i have my own destiny instinct biases that i assume that those things are destined to be good or destined to be bad right so that's destiny number 8 is the single instinct single by single it means single tool like we had a few things that worked for us and we keep using it over and over again you know like you, the coat once you have a hammer you know everything looks like a nail to you so that is something that we use all the time so that's something to watch out for nine uh, is blame instinct where the minute you start blaming it awakens an emotional reaction in you where you, it prevents you from stopping to actually analyze what's going on because you you've already blamed somebody else for it for for a headline news there's no analysis left so he's like resist pointing your fingers before you actually understand what is going on that's the blame instinct and number 10 and i think i find this the biggest one of the most powerful instincts is the urgency instinct which is uh, the best way for me to confuse you is to not give you a lot of facts but is to throw a fact at you which might or might not be wrong but it plays to a lot of the other instincts but but on top of that throw in this thing saying you have to make a decision right now right because immediately that kicks in like the fight or flight instinct in you and so you are most likely to make an error of judgment you would forget to do a simple division for example i'd throw the formula in at you and you would react without saying oh wait a minute stop slow down because all of those play in to the fact that you are supposed you think you're supposed to react urgently his biggest recommendation for that is to take small steps you know gradualism in everything you do uh, not suddenly typically in a market setting you will hear two or three pundits saying oh the market crash is coming and you immediately go in there and sell half your portfolio that is an example of this urgency instinct where you you're so easily confused because you feel like you have to react right away so those are roughly like a, a quick brief on all 10 of them if if i had to say what is the number one thing i would do it would be to just slow down assume that not everything that appears bad is bad and not everything that appears good is good it sounds philosophical but you know that's really how you should be treating media and news and information that comes your way these days so i'll stop there and see you know what picks your interest and then we can we can drill into that two ted talks come to my mind from what you said one of them is by sir matt ridley Uh, i think he used to be an oxford professor and an author and he's knighted i i love his talk his uh, the way he's presented his talk at the ted conference mm-hmm. uh, he calls himself a rational optimist oh i know that um, yeah he's written, he's written a book yeah. of that title right yes 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 he's written a book by that title yeah. uh, he also has a website and there was when he mentioned 20 years ago it was it about how the world was under threat and there was acid rain and the whole thing was uh, there was nuclear holocaust on the horizon yeah, yeah. this and that yeah but none of that really happened yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he says even now we think this is going to happen that is going to happen 20 years down the line probably the same thing we're going to say oh none of that happened yeah okay so he and he actually said uh, life actually got rosier better much better and he gives us facts proving that with 
we are the only species of the planet which actually becomes more prosperous with and uh, when we become more populous so and so on and so forth but uh, my point is basically that all the things that we were so scared of 20 or 30 years ago yeah, uh, yeah. are not there um, like an acid rain it was the most important topic we covered in school i i'm not saying it's not there like you're saying it, these are uh, real situations there were acid rains but somehow we gotten our act together in most places and things are better definitely for the better. Yeah, yeah so that is one yeah, topic Maybe that's a book that's you know should be in our short shortlist. I've never read that book, <laughs> sure. but I've heard yeah, about yeah, that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, I know. It, he, he's he has a very entertaining talk as well. I've I've watched it so many times myself. Then the second one that came to my mind when you mentioned Africa is a talk by a Nigerian Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Uh, I'm sure I got the pronunciation wrong. She talks about the danger of a single story. where uh, she is actually pointed out at an article where it said well with with this you can help countries like china india and africa <laughs> i mean come yeah, yeah, yeah. on yeah <laughs> china and india is countries funny. africa is yeah. not but to the yeah. world it seems like yes africa yeah. is from one country yeah. so I, i totally agree with you uh, in the biases i mean the author in the biases that we have for me the plus point of having these biases is that it condenses things for us it makes it simpler for us to deal with it immediately if if at all there's an urgency um, yeah. but not then yeah we have to sit down and think about it and and see what's what's the correct way to do it yeah. those are two things that came to my mat ridley and chimamanda's uh, talk so the question that i have for you uh, is 10 factors is a lot for us to Uh, sort of digest and apply for me uh, if a book like like we discussed last time also if something is applicable then it's a lot more meaningful for me in your opinion or in the author's opinion how do we actually tackle that there are 10 of them and uh, yeah, so that yeah. becomes a cumbersome task for us so we yeah. go back to our old ways if if oh uh, i have to watch out for this one too i mean my life is complex enough already 10 things that i have to keep watching out for Yeah, I, I so I I thought about that too, and I was thinking, I don't know, if this is the this is the perfect answer, but but this is how I'm approaching it. Like, so I think of it as uh, numbers and narrative, right? So there's numbers and there's a story. So anytime somebody tells you something, there's likely to be no, both numbers and a story, right? So all you're trying to do is to figure out, can I going to your point? We want to be expedient and efficient. in kind of putting that story and numbers in a bucket and say okay yeah that fits my so somebody says oh this is going to help countries uh, blah 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 you're not even thinking at the time about africa you're not slowing down and saying oh wait how can that africa is not even a country and how can this something generic like this affect three huge land masses so you're not slowing down so the key idea there is the urgency idea key idea is what is the story that he's trying to say and if there's any numbers thrown in can i just slow down on the number because i mean after all most of us are really numbers guys i right? we we are equipped to deal with numbers and we've seen so many numbers of you can't get thrown by a large number right you have to put the number in context before you react in all this what comes to me is slowing down and in all this what comes to me is he is somebody's trying to tell you a story you got to slow down and say is this uh, worth adding to your knowledge base Or is does it have to be deleted? <laughs> Not right. 
<laughs> that's that's all it is, right? Because if you were a computer and you were building a database of knowledge, you would be like looking at each one and saying, okay, is that garbage or not? And you just need an algorithm which deletes it right there and says, okay, that was meaningless. It didn't add anything. And this goes back to whole news items. It it goes back to even now. I mean, even this, it, 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 you don't need to, to search for example. You just turn on the news. Almost everything you heard in that news item that day will be will add zero to your knowledge base. I mean, and it's just that easy to see. And and it once you make that a habit, it's so much easier to ignore noise. You realize you don't even need to watch the news because most of it is meaningless. What you're looking for is big themes, big changes, and most of the stuff that is not very heavily dramatic is actually more news than stuff that is dramatic. And that's the second uh, idea I have is that if something sounds really dramatic and everybody's talking about it, even more reason for you to drill down and say, okay, what are the numbers? What are the averages? What are the rates? What are the ratios? What is the data actually saying? Let me ignore the story because the story will get propped up by a hundred people, but the numbers are going to be the same. So you just focus on the numbers at that time. I don't know if you have ideas too on, on how to narrow down this 10 to a more manageable list. I have heard of this neuro-linguistic programming. I think this is the second time I'm referencing this NLP. Yeah, yeah. So what they suggest is that what we do with incoming information is one of three things. Distort, delete, and uh, generalize. So these are the three things I've heard. That we uh, generalize. Yes, that was covered as point number six in your list. Yes. Uh, Distort, most of what we see is we distort and delete. So we actually conveniently leave out the stuff that doesn't fit into our model uh, and and go on. So these are things that we do on a routine basis. Even these three things that I brought up was probably a generalization. So (laughs) it goes goes in loop, in a a big recursive loop. I think that you can, uh, and we often refer to it as mental models. The reality is something that is beyond it. I think the awareness is key that you it's not so much about the mental models itself but the awareness that we are affected by these mental models i think that makes it convenient uh, yeah. then we can categorize it the way you want these 10 needn't be the uh, all limiting list in fact they, you will find I, I think i've read somewhere like we have 75 biases or something like that somewhere right? yeah yeah, yeah. So, I think uh, Charlie Charlie Munger had this has this uh, has this talk um, which is available online. He gave it at uh, I think USC. It's called the Psychology of Human Misperception or something like that. It's basically twenty something biases, and he writes about it so well. Like it's just it's a talk he gave, but it's, it's, it's a written piece is so nice to read, and, and that's worth definitely reading as well. Like for me, the the little bit of frustration is that I know all these biases. Like there's so many resources to understand all these biases, but then that doesn't mean I don't suffer from them, right? So how do you, on a constant basis, keep keep checking to see, you know, how, are you still covered by all these biases or not? You know, just as I'll give an example, there is one of uh, one question in that question list where they talk about uh, how many children there will be in the world in our eighty years time, you know, by two thousand one hundred. Okay, uh, right now there's two billion children in the world. You know, that's humans from less than 15 years old. How many children do you think will be there 80 years from now? And 
myself and you know a lot of my friends and you know, all very well educated and you know a lot of them thinking about the world some of them are investing almost everybody assumed that the number of children would be you know higher maybe even much higher 8 years from now but turns out that the answer is the number of children will be the same the same to billion <laughs> is a okay. number 8 years from now i can see you're surprised too so yeah like, yeah i am yeah. Uh, because we have this narrative right that we grew up with this narrative that oh my god population is a big problem and population growing it turns out that the number of the rate of birth of children hasn't changed at all so it has stabilized over the last 15 years which means for every child that goes from 15 to 16 uh, another child is born so that it's the 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 total number of children in the world is going to be maintained will the population go up in the next 8 years right that's an interesting question population yes will go up it's not because we we're having kids at a fast pace it's because people are living longer so there'll be more old people right just that simple understanding will change how you think about the world over the next 20 30 years you will suddenly realize why uh, more old having more old people is a problem you will suddenly realize why japan and the us and the developed world are going to face a crisis because there's going to be more old people than young people whereas countries like india are so well positioned because luckily or unluckily we ended up having a lot of kids in the last 40 years who who are all in working age so we our proportion of middle aged working highly productive people will be extremely high compared to the rest of the world. you know this is and you know the other thing that makes us fascinating is that it is so hard to say anything useful it is so hard to say anything meaningful when you talk about long time periods you know it's very hard to say any fact uh, that i can be somewhat sure of when i go 20 years out you know whether i can talk about the next 3 days beyond that i can't talk about it. economics markets i can't talk about anything in that long time horizon but demographics is one thing where i can actually be reasonably certain you know barring you know big pandemics and wars you can be reasonably certain how many indians are going to be around how many japanese are going to be around 10 years from now 20 years from 30 and from now that all you need to do is spend 30 minutes and and see the graph and you're done you have a much different understanding of the world and i got this answer wrong and i'm thinking why why do i still have that bias right it's it's it seems like the most basic thing that would you would need to find out so my project now is to say you know how many such things are there that are fairly basic reasonably predictable that i should know right i don't need to know what is the capital of xyz but i'd like to know these basic ideas of how the world is moving and then that would change my decision making quite a bit and that's i think that's true with all of us that you know it's worth thinking about the facts especially big facts that don't move around much uh, sorry mean... that i didn't mean mean it to be a deep thought <laughs> 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 no i i was pondering over another thing that you mentioned about uh, negativity yeah. that's been one of my favorites as well so this was uh, i became aware of the fact that news has uh, negative stuff i mean basically uh, quote unquote bad news most of, all the time or most of the time is when i heard a speech by the late uh, former president abdul uh-huh. kalam he had mentioned that how come you know uh, all the all i see in my front page of any news that is is 
all bad news but there are so many good things happening in our country in the world nobody really covers that so with that fit of enthusiasm i said wait he has mentioned something that's really startling yeah. let me go subscribe to some good news uh, websites and i did subscribe to a handful of them i did find a few of them which only give uh, good yeah. news roll the clock forward about 6 months i got thoroughly bored of all of them and i actually systematically unsubscribed from all yeah. of them <laughs> so i i'm not sure uh, if that's a good thing also i think that uh, yeah you're right that we are somehow we are drawn towards negativity and we are uh, we are somewhere we are uh, wired for that uh, but neither is good news great to latch on to sometimes you have, when you have that wow factor you're like you should on journalist spend a lot of time and write a story which says oh yeah things are going well that's not a story right if you if you spend a lot of time you want to find corruption you want to find problems you want to find neglect you know you want to find uh, some element of risk that is a story right so as a journalist you you're going to be spending 99% of your time doing that and that's because that's the product that sells and once in a while you'll put out a story saying oh, things are good so that's a bias secondly from your my own perspective i look at would i read a link which says xyz is improving nicely like i'm like okay that's good to know but if there's a link which is oh my god xyz has this problem potentially it could break that's more likely something that i would read so the biases come on both sides and then all i'm trying to do is somehow correct for it and say okay yeah, i i read all the bad stuff but there's probably that's probably this 10% of what the news was you know the other 90% that was not reported and i didn't click on was also news so i have to put that in context and say okay the scale of things okay yeah some bad things go go on the, the other part to it is also look was it any different 20 years ago i mean 20 years ago there's probably the same thing but it's just different kinds of bad stuff so there's always statistically going to be 3% of things going wrong or 5% of things going wrong just by reading it all the time makes you think that the whole world is going wrong that's the challenge how to correct for that bias and it's hard to do like you know ongoing basis it's hard to do and in fact i stopped listening to npr less like you said uh, which i used to listen on my commute and instead i started <laughs> learning languages <laughs> because uh, because the world is still going to be there and i'm not thankfully i'm not president so i'm not supposed to correct all of that right so it's not on my shoulder so why bother right i stopped reading and listening to news a long long while back i don't have tv at home anyway that's my story so uh, coming back to the book uh, is there any method or uh, tool suggested so that we guard ourselves against these biases so the one thing i want to mention and this is not directly to your answer but it kind of connects a few things i think you had talked about earlier is that so okay so you don't want to think of country wide biases right you i mean a lot of this his work has to do with how the world is changing as a whole and and we come up with really bad numbers in our predictions because we assume developing countries will bring down the number a lot china is bad and india is bad and when you aggregate them the overall averages will come down but to avoid that he 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 makes this point and which is also surprised to me is like you know when i say nigeria or i say papua new guinea you have a view right you have you i mean you never been there probably don't know anybody from there but you already made a, a view in your mind and you have a view on per capita income you have a view on what people eat you know you view on how streets look 
uh, he actually says, makes his point that it really doesn't matter where, uh, which country you're in or which race you belong to. Um, what really impacts how you live is your income level. So he, he's, he suggests, instead of thinking of the world as developed and developing, think of the world in four levels of income. And he, he uses the numbers $2 per day, $4 per day, and uh, uh, I think $32 per day as a cutoff for the four sets. And he uses those numbers because he says at each level, the difference is distinct. Like, you know, from somebody who's at $2, to go to $4 is a big difference. It's the difference between being able to afford footwear, right, between $2 and $4 a day. And the same between level two and level three and level three and level four. And level four, you'll find is like a huge level where, you know, most of the uh, educated people are. Right? Hans Rosling, unfortunately, he's no more. He passed away recently, but his son and daughter were part of the team and they run this uh, website called Dollar Street. If you Google it, they, they have an organization called Gapminder because they've spent their life trying to educate people on simple facts about the world and they use um, uh, fancy graphics, you know, like the bubble charts and stuff to take real data, you know, from, you know, UN type organizations and plotted in a way that people can actually understand and visualize because they think educating people is actually a cost in itself. So it's a nonprofit that they run. It's called Gapminder. And they have, uh, as part of that, this effort called Dollar Street, where they go to individual countries, find people at level one, level two, level three, and with their permission, actually document their life. So if you go to that website, and I've been on the website, it's, a, it's actually piques your curiosity. Like you can actually go and say, okay, let me pick a country. Uh, I don't know, Somalia, and then pick somebody at level four in Somalia. And you will see that they will, I mean, I'm just picking an example. I didn't try it out. But you can pick any country you think is a poor country, but find somebody at the top level. And you'll find that they have the same kind of bedrooms. They have the same kind of cars. They have the same kind of, uh, you know, utensils. They even document, you know, lighting in the kitchen, lighting in the living room. How do they study? How do they, how do they dress? You know, so it is fa it's fascinating to me that it seems like an obvious idea and i've seen rich people in poor countries but this whole idea of grouping people into income levels when you think about how to uh, making decisions for example you know you're running a business it's an international business you're thinking about this country don't assume that your audience is what you think it was you know based on your prior understanding of the world just think about how many people are in each level and who is your customer you know even when designing programs, you know, educational programs, health programs, simple things like, you know, how many people do you think in the world are vaccinated now? How many kids in the world are vaccinated? Is that 50%, 60%, 80%, 90%? The answer ends up being close to 90%, which is a surprise to me. You know, vaccines are pretty, you know, pretty widespread. And it's, it's, it's not to say that there's no problems in the world. It is just that, we are at a far better level than we probably think we are. So that's kind of like a, in, that Dollar Street thing is kind of an interruption that I feel like people should go and check out. So I just wanted to throw it in there. And it also covers partly your question then as to uh, why we need to, uh, I mean, one of the tools we could use to think of the world differently is to think about le income levels and where people are. Is there one, one instinct here which is more interesting to you? So I'll start with that and say what he suggests for that. Mm. For me, I like the idea of destiny, and the turtle is amazing. That yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that pretty much 
visualizes for me uh, the the idea of destiny. Yeah. So the 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 key for destiny, right, is this idea that slow change, and that's why he has a thought as there is like people assume that come some things are going fast and some things are going slow, right? Take the pop population change as well, right? I mean, I I was I messed up because I assumed that the rate of growth of kids is very fast, and there'll be other examples where you will think that oh, this country is not going anywhere. You know, the progress is so poor. I don't know what what country you have in mind, but then you know, examples like that. The key for for uh, there is for him is even slow change is is change. So don't ignore. Change just because you you have this feel that oh those those people are not destined to move fast right so the trick there is to keep track of gradual change constantly update your knowledge on things which you already put in the bucket of it's not changing and he also says talk to grandpa because some of the your views what what you think might actually have happened in the past you know the same thing has happened in the past and maybe your grandpa has underestimated something too in the past. And and then he also talks about cultural change. You know that I mean, I'm a, I'm a good example of this. I moved from India to the United States almost 20 years ago, so my view of uh, Indian culture, even though it's been updated, you know, I travel a lot. I even invest in companies there, but I still feel like that I'm I have this bias that that I assume life in India was the same it was, or only slightly better than it was when I was there. But things have changed so much in India that it's always a Something that I have to catch up. Every time I come, I'm surprised at how many people have cell phones and how many people do this and that. And then I'm thinking that was true everywhere. You know, like in Hollywood, if you see movies in the late '90s, obviously nobody had a cell phone. So the world is changing at this, almost at the same pace everywhere, and you have this bias thinking that comes from your own history there. Right? So it's a hard one. I think the Destiny one is a very hard one because it's there's no simple Tools, like, except actually being aware of change. Do you have any destiny examples? Is that why you picked it? No. Somehow, it uh, the image and the uh, the exact opposite of urgency and negativity is uh, destiny. But it's still a bias that some of us say, okay, uh, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. So sort of like a fatalistic uh, sort of view. Yeah. That this is what is going to happen. And that we have no control over certain things. I, I was thinking of it from that perspective. Correct, yeah. That yeah, that is a bias as well. We assume. So that that's why I sort of picked okay. it. Um, no, no particular reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's move. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, straight line is a, a good one because uh, our conscious thinking is very uh, linear biased. And all these metaphors thrown in the news as well say, okay, the real estate or the stock market is climbing, it's going straight. And we think that we draw a straight line and it's going to be like that. But it actually comes down after a while. But if it comes down, does it, uh, I remember again, going back to my investment story is that 2007, end of 2007, they said uh, points where X, it's going to be one and a half times uh, by about May in Two weeks time, it had crashed by about sixty percent. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that time they were saying that uh, you know what uh, the bad days have come, and in the next six months you're going to see it uh, drop to about point zero one x of what it was, or some 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 very drastic. And it was a very very linear c- 
curve drawn and, uh, when i said okay that's uh, very grim uh, that couldn't be the case and 6 months down the line i actually had stabilized uh, it wasn't the worst story that they had mentioned neither was it the rosy picture that was mentioned so oh, and all these were analysts uh, on prime time tv uh, so they were putting their reputation on, on at stake uh, but still they got it absolutely wrong not not 1% off here there or 10% off here there they were miles away from from what actually ha- happened probably a uh, quote unquote black swan event but still yeah. lots of times our predictions are completely wrong because we we get uh, we have these linear models in our head right you know the, the the thing it's yeah. one thing he says and it's worth uh, in in the context you said it's even more appropriate is that he says linear processes are extremely uncommon right it is just that we like linear but if you absolutely statistically look at how many processes there are and how many of them would be linear uh, there are just extremely few numbers so it makes even less sense for us to think linear and in your case in a market case it's it's even more it's very rare to get linear change like you in you know, the way you you explained it uh, he uses an example which is actually very drastic he said when the gates foundation is predominantly focused on poor children and health and yeah. um, one of the criticism that they get from donors is is that if you keep saving poor children you'll kill the planet by causing overpopulation right so some version of that uh, that criticism because people think that these places suffer from overpopulation and and again these places is shows a bias there right and people just assume <laughs> right uh, that that africa is overpopulated and there are poor kids and by saving those kids from dying you're actually causing overpopulation and making this problem worse whereas the data shows that it is poverty that leads to overpopulation so that there is a strong link between poverty in one generation and overpopulation in the next so if you what you should focus on is to reduce poverty in these kids and that actually reduces the population rate for the future and then actually solves the problem so it's like you know people make some linear jumps from one data to the other but in reality the processes that actually i mean the underlying process might be more complex than you think right i mean i'm sure we make more simpler <laughs> linear errors than that but that's something that he mentions in the book that uh, that the gates foundation had to fight that bias i have one uh, size bias that we always yeah. have today is full moon yeah. day and i'm watching the full moon rise in the yeah. east okay so it looked massive it's huge uh, now why is that so do you do you know the reason do you remember or do you know it why this full moon appears massive is a few it um, it, hours later it actually uh, looks shrunken so is it because there's no stars uh, i can compare with is it a, yeah i think you're on the right track uh, you don't suffer yeah actually the when it is near the yeah. horizon you have references that yeah. you know and you can compare and say okay this is the size of the moon but when it's up yeah. there uh, it's actually you don't have any reference and you think it's quite small oh, wow. okay wow yeah. yeah the fact is when you do a, you just use your yeah. finger and and measure the apparent keep it at an arm's length and measure the apparent yeah. diameter it it actually is quite similar so you will find it to be the same 
accurate measurements say in fact that it actually goes it grows a li- slightly bigger oh really uh, apparent yeah. size well that yeah. is fascinating yeah, because you know, it, you know this, i've actually noticed this but never stopped to think why right yeah. i just assume it's because it's more brilliant the day or whatever like whatever that is that is very that's fascinating that's i'm glad you mentioned it <laughs> so now i'm going to now i'm going to tell everybody next time back <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah. Uh, pop that question. So it is the question. Uh, and, the question uh, yeah. is not the stars and all. It is the question is it's closer to the horizon, so I can compare. No, re- relative the the landscape, the uh, backdrop, right, right, right. backdrop comparison. Yeah. So what is it pitted yeah. against? Huh. So that's the uh, key. Yeah, I mean, and uh, his his in I mean, just throw this fact. I mean, this trick to people is that. Uh, in his book he talks about dividing as a tool that we should all use that in that the, the, okay. the amounts and rates tell very different stories so anytime somebody throws an amount to you ask for the rate either a rate of change or a rate per capita rate per person rate given everything you know if somebody says 4 million deaths from this then i have a baseline to say you know how many people are dying from diabetes right so and then you can know that hmm. how rare this thing is another one that is so prevalent cross geographies is this whole uh, currency conversion rate so when uh, my parents or my from that generation go visit the us they find it to be extremely expensive yeah because of the conversion rate but i tell them that it's when, when you're there it's the currency uh, it's it's sort of a ratio between what they earn and to what they uh, what they spend yeah pretty much the same thing as we do here in india if uh, you take the rent and divide it by your uh, income it probably have comparable numbers like i and i like that the fact that there is a rationale for that in terms of these levels of income and you can find that out so i i think even when comparing it across time like oh you know good old days it used to be x and uh, we used to only make 200 rupees a month whereas yeah. you guys have so much money i'll tell you the expenses are exactly this uh, it's just multiplied by so many it's just right. like a division right. uh, i think even i i think he even mentions it that there is a nostalgia bias as well ah, that, yeah. uh, i don't know in which context he mentions it but basically saying people have a tendency to think of the good old days like you mentioned yeah. whereas there is if you put data to it you will <laughs> it's a it'll be hard to justify Okay so that brings us to our last hypothetical question if Han, Hans Rosling were alive and were to appear on this podcast he had a chance to ask him a question or give him a suggestion uh, what would that be yeah so i i, I thought of this like I, he talks a lot i mean if you listen to his uh, uh, ted talks he had ted talks on this as well uh, which is worth whoever's listening to he okay. he polls uh, his audience a lot and so i was curious to see you know how many people actually get this right and then how what is different about those people like what are they because he mentions doctors he mentions people in public health he mentions uh, politicians he mentions people i i think he was even at the davos summit where you know like the movers and shakers of the world of public policy and international business all those people come and they they all get this kids wrong So I was kind of curious to see who would who, who if he has a list of people who actually get got everything right and were like really on top of this right that would be really interesting to know what especially if there's a group of people who are good at this uh, I was curious 
to, to ask him about that. But I mean, as I mentioned, he's no more. So uh, his son and daughter are now continuing this work. And he actually treated this like a mission, his life's mission to educate people, educate even the educated people on where the world is today rather than with their view of the world from, you know, years ago. Yeah, I, I see on his website, one of them I really like is don't panic, end poverty. It's <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> sort of brings my don't panic, uh, which is from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, the golden embossed words. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah. Okay. So thank yeah. you so much, Krishna, for sharing your uh, views on the book and giving us key ideas of the book. Uh, we will reconvene to discuss yet another book next time. And uh, for the listeners, thank you so much for listening this far. And uh, if you have any suggestions, please let us know. We will be happy to take them. Thank you and bye. Perfect. Thank you very much. All. Bye. If you liked the podcast and found it useful, please feel free to share the link via your favorite social media platform. To recommend an interesting book for our next discussion, please leave us a comment. See you next time.